0: You're listening to the Speaking Tongues Podcast. I'm your host, El-Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 133, speaking Cantonese and Welsh. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I'm here today with Israel. Israel is a composer by day and a polyglot language enthusiast slash YouTuber slash podcaster by night, (laughs) although nowadays usually in reverse from Hong Kong and based in Manchester. His interest in languages was sparked by his musical ear and extends to a variety of language families. More recently, he's been drawn towards issues surrounding language, social change and identity welcome thank you for being here israel how are you
1: thanks for having me i'm good it's a very dark evening right now uh, <laughs> that's the winter
0: that I'll is say. that is definitely winter time i like to start each episode with the same question and that is what is your first language and which languages have you learned to speak
1: yeah, so um, it gets a bit complex with me because, as you say, I'm I sort of a polyglot. Uh, I do language learning as a hobby, so I don't really, uh, like it's really hard to, to gauge what languages I speak on what level. But my mother tongue is Cantonese, uh, which is from Canton and I'm from Hong Kong myself. Uh, so I grew up speaking that and I grew up in this environment that pretty much only speaks Cantonese. Uh, but also in school we learned Mandarin and English, uh, especially English from a pretty early age. Mm. And then uh, I I had a special school. Uh, that sounds like something else, but uh, my school had French lessons for whatever reason, which is kind of I'm kind of glad for. Uh, yeah, we lo- we learned foreign languages from pretty early on. And uh, then I continued some French, but I didn't really enjoy it that much. And then in university, I started doing German, especially since I uh, study music. So German is a pretty big part of classical music, uh, yeah. especially in the, from the 19th century. So that was what sort of sparked my enthusiasm for language learning. I discovered this was a thing that I enjoy a lot. I have I enjoy the process, the struggles especially. <laughs> so I, that, that spurred me on to, to learn lots of languages. But right now, my, my best ones are German Polish and Swedish but I also speak um, other ones uh, as as I said in the intro uh, in the bio um, I I like to learn languages from different families so I also speak some Hebrew uh, and then more recently I've been learning uh, Taiwanese and Welsh uh, and also British Sign language because I live in Britain now Mm -hmm. So,
0: so all of these two various levels yeah that's exciting. So, do you feel like your upbringing when you were? So, I've never been to Hong Kong, but I've heard that I haven't and, been for a while. <laughs> um, I've heard that Hong Kong, and I, I would imagine that Hong Kong is a very multilingual place to, to live and to to visit to grow up. Did did that, like, what was your understanding of multilingualism when you were in Hong Kong? Like, did you understand that it was something like a thing or was it like normal to you i think um the
1: multilingualism tends to be overstated because mm. of our status as a former british colony
2: mm-hmm.
1: um so well before cantonese became the main language hong kong was actually quite multilingual like lots of different kinds of chinese languages uh, in, in cities people learned each other's languages but since cantonese became the dominant language We've been pretty homogenous. And uh, so, as I said, we learned English from a pretty early age. Uh, but I often say that if we had learned it through an immersive way, then we would have been native. But because we learned it as a like a school subject, we learned it like through grammar, that kind of mm, stuff. So mm-hmm. it's still our second language, despite learning from really early on. But otherwise, yeah, obviously we have all sorts of minority languages because we are actually also uh, uh, an immigrant society. Mm-hmm. So I sometimes compare it to America, because uh, we have people from different parts of mainly Asia, uh, and then they sort of settle in and uh, learn Cantonese and or, or English.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: and we have like immigrant workers as well. So there, there are lots of different languages from different parts of Asia around. and uh of of course English still plays a big role just like everywhere else (laughs) Uh, and you you do see English in lots of places but um I I think it's yeah it's an overstatement to say people tend to be multilingual Mm. like we we learn it to a certain degree but it's not native like Singapore
0: okay can we talk about Cantonese can we start with Cantonese okay so especially because I have not had a Cantonese speaker on the show. Um, Have you not? I haven't. I had a guest who spoke, who was learning Cantonese. um, Okay. And if I remember correctly, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to misremember my own guests, but um, I do remember that, you know, she um, was of, you know, her Cantonese heritage. Like she, her grandparents were um, Cantonese speakers. Um, But I haven't really got a chance to dig in. Um, to Cantonese and I would love to know so much about it Um, sure tell us about how the language is constructed how are we forming sentences is it gendered is it tonal Um, or tell us any other features of the language that you that stand out to you or that you find interesting
1: right yeah okay Uh, I'm actually still quite surprised (laughs) that you have never had someone on because we are everywhere like (laughs) all over the world like the early uh, Chinese immigrants were all Cantonese so okay anyway um, yeah so I've been teaching Cantonese for a while now and then it's through that process that I gradually discovered more about my own language because mm. you don't learn about your language uh, especially the structure most of the time we are a tonal language I think our number of tones is on the bigger side <laughs> We, have, uh, we I, I insist we have six some people say nine but they are misinformed um <laughs> so so we we do have quite a few of them uh what else it's not gendered uh actually this uh, it's funny because um we grew up in a pretty non-gendered linguistic environment right it's it's mm-hmm. it's just one well it's just neutral gender for everything and then as, as we get into contact with the english world we hear about this this uh so-called pronoun mess and then we're like what What's, uh... what is the point it's just people <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it, 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 so sometimes we 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 sort of gently poke fun at this and say, oh, just call me koi, which is our gender neutral and our only third-person pronoun. Anyway, we don't have gender in anything, like grammatical gender, but we do have um, counter or measure words, which is a general East Asian thing. I think, like, ch- all kinds of Chinese have it, Japanese has it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes I... I imagine that as sort of like grammatical gender, but on steroids. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, sure. There, there is like so many of them and some of them have a logic to them. Like some of them refer to the shape and or form of something. Sometimes it's not about the form, but more like what it is. For example, you have one for um, uh, animals in general with exceptions. Uh, and then some of them is like are, are like uh, categories like uh, for machines, for for um, texts we have one for texts, uh, etc. But, but one, then again, it's never consistent. Everything has lots of exceptions. You sort of just have to learn each of them from context as people mm-hmm. use them. Mm-hmm. But my favorite thing about the counter words or measure words is that sometimes when the when the measure word already implies something about the object you can sort of skip the object
2: oh okay
1: yeah it's already clear for example i said we have a measure word for texts for example essays or uh, paragraphs or newspapers Mm -hmm. uh, articles um so sometimes i just want to say well that that text over there so i would just use the the measure word and then put yeah which means stuff after it
0: oh okay yeah Mm-hmm.
1: so it's so it's quite fun to use this to sort of make jokes or puns and things like that <laughs> or just be lazy which is, is what I do all the time
0: so do you like how how would we say that so if we're talking about uh texts you said yeah. okay uh books for books. example okay
1: so um well the uh, the counter for book is born and that's sort of books in general uh, so it could be textbooks, could be uh um well, I'm losing my English as well. Yes. Uh, novels, yes, that's an English word, not not no. roman. <laughs> um yeah, and any kind of books, right? So uh sometimes sometimes uh or for example, just a book is yatbun su is book. Uh a textbook, for example, would be yatbun gau for su. Uh so it also has the uh, element for a book in it yeah uh, etc so you, you use it for all kinds of books and then sometimes when I'm lazy I just say ye.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the thing over there which belongs to the category of books gotcha Yeah. so give me the thing in English you could say that right but but, but if you say give me the thing it doesn't re- uh, it doesn't imply anything about the thing it's just thing but in yeah. Cantonese it would imply that it is a category
0: part of that oh, okay yeah. that's so cool and you were saying earlier about pronouns that, yeah. uh, were you saying that there are no pronouns in Cantonese? Oh, no. no, of course
1: there are pronouns. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, they are. Um, they're, and there are actually uh, a myriad of them. But the thing is, we don't gender things by default. Mm,
0: okay, it's the gender. Yeah, okay. it's
1: a, it's the a gender. Um historically there's like lots of different ones there's one for kings <laughs> specifically what uh, it's like you say his majesty in english right? oh
2: yeah 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 yeah
1: but but in in or oh, in chinese in general it's not a cantonese thing in chinese in general there was a, a royal first person pronoun anyway back to a modern language and uh, when you say <laughs> he or she it's the same one
0: yeah oh okay,
1: because in lots of languages you don't have gender pronouns either yeah. like in Hungarian Turkish
0: mm-hmm. so uh
1: sometimes it causes problems, but then that's just we what we call the pronoun game, right yeah like in English you could <laughs> you could be talking about two women at once, so there would still be ambiguity whereas mm-hmm. in Cantonese you would have the same one for all of them. and the funny thing is uh Mandarin is naturally also like this mm-hmm. they don't use gender pronouns. But I think a century ago, they wanted to be more Western, and so they introduced gendered pronouns, but only in writing, mm. not in sp- in spoken language.
2: Hmm. And
1: now they have the problem of trying to make it gender neutral once again. Uh, yeah, yeah. But but because Cantonese was never like the um like the educated quote unquote educated language, mm-hmm. um or it was like not written a lot, so we never went through that process of trying to be. Western mm-hmm. so we always just had one and then we started writing it down and we don't have the gender problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Does Cantonese have a reputation of not being an educated language or? I think
1: that is just how the Chinese languages are uh-huh. historically speaking because uh-huh. um, they have this vision of national unity. Everyone should know the same language mm-hmm. um, like a lingua franca and then, and because of how they promote the lingua franca, which used to be classical Chinese, now it's Mandarin, right? And they promote it as the uh, the language of the educated. Uh, if you don't speak it, you you are low class. Or um, if uh, even if you if you speak it, I think it's a quite a common slogan in China, if I'm not mistaken, to say you should speak the common language if you want to be civilized yeah pretty strong wording there but that that's just how things roll
2: civilized? so that's
1: yeah literally that's that's they, they do that all the time like if you want to be civilized like uh don't litter or don't i don't know break the law and don't speak your dialect that kind of slogan
0: imagine telling a thousands year old civilization who gets to be civilized and who does it based on your language Oh my goodness!
1: Well, the 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 official line is that it's all the same civilization, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all Chinese, mm-hmm. um, which is actually a language family, but um, so supposedly it's a it's just a different way of speaking, and you it's it's a bit like, uh, or oh, I mean, this is not the reality, but in in the in the propaganda, it's it's a bit like in English, you want to speak in a certain accent mm. or use certain words to sound more educated.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so you would uh, you would shun dialects like uh, the African-American dialect.
2: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: sort of the same idea, except yeah. in, in the case of Chinese languages, it's different languages altogether.
0: Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> well, let's not dig ourselves into any trouble. That's why the I say I'm, Chinese I'm government. things with, like <laughs> social
1: change and identity, because I think yeah. in... Um, well, also in in the Western world, but outside of the Western worlds, that these things have a yet an even bigger effect on languages because it get way more dramatic. Like
2: yeah.
1: like for example, in in Europe, you could speak a, a minority language somewhere,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then like you have problems using it, or like you feel like you you are not able to uh, function as well in that language, etc. But in parts. Of the world like in china when you speak a minority language you, you're actually being stigmatized actively mm, mm-hmm. uh, by the society so that that happens quite often in different parts of the world
0: yeah as well. it's but, uh, and I, i'm i'm really glad that you brought that up because i i think about it a lot like as i'm doing this podcast like for me i love to learn from people and about their language their culture their heritage and things like that but i i admit i often forget how political language can be in other parts of the world. And, you know, I, yeah, I want to yeah. have these lighthearted conversations and and I, I don't want to put any stress or pressure on my guests or my listeners. But I do need to be reminded often that, you know, if if I if I don't like it, if I don't like a system, it doesn't really matter if I like it or not. But there are people who are hurting because they can't use their language or they they feel like they're uneducated or they're uncivilized or they're not enough because of of their language and it has so much to do with political leadership and um I I think
1: it has everything to do with politics which is kind of a problem because like personally I am into politics but I don't like to talk about it especially Mm -hmm. on this kind of platform like Mm -hmm. I like to talk about it privately
2: yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, but publicly I like to talk about the politics of language. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I th- I tell people, okay, I'm I'm not talking about what's going on politically right now, but I want to talk about the dynamic between the, the power dynamics between different languages and how one might be like cannibalizing another one, that kind of stuff. I, I like to talk to people about it because I think there is space for change. Uh or or I could make more people aware of certain issues. Right. But at the same time, it's really hard not to slip into that politics zone and end up talking about like government that kind of stuff
0: yeah yeah um,
1: but uh, wow. I, I but I think it goes both ways like some people would say uh like the 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 leadership is affecting the language like just like how Cantonese in Hong Kong has so many English words that mm. kind of uh, really but but also the sometimes some people might think that the attitudes toward language might affect the political situation mm. so it's a uh, both ways
0: yeah, where do we hear English words in Cantonese spoken in Hong Kong?
1: All the time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: um, I, I I think it's uh, several layers of uh, loan words, uh, borrowings, and code mixing. Because uh, historically, we have uh, like around one hundred fifty years uh, of being a British colony, right? And there was lots of interaction with the Brits, so you you get words like bus and taxi from english
2: mm-hmm.
1: um so those those words were more integrated um they, they are still clearly a foreign word but like in terms of sounds they've been integrated mm-hmm. and then more recently we have words that we sort of take from english and then tailor them away in a way to to make it feel more natural to us mm-hmm. like especially mm-hmm. technology terms right like i say i say down for download
2: Huh.
1: yeah we like one syllable things i down, <laughs> and then like delete is d uh that that kind of stuff
0: so efficient i like oh, that yeah, i love it and then
1: <laughs> and then when you when you like shorten that that way it's easier to use it with like cantonese grammar
2: mm-hmm.
1: like down jaw is that have downloaded cantonese or other chinese languages as well is what we call um in linguistics uh, an analytic language so mm-hmm every part is sort of separate. So you just stick things onto the foreign word and then um, make them work together.
0: That's so cool.
1: (laughs) But also, um, because lots of people are educated in English still, Mm -hmm. um, like like I was. Um, So when we talk about technical things, we just constantly mix the words. Like, for example, when I talk about physics uh, or linguistics, we just straight up use the English word without any sort of fitting it in
0: or
2: integrating hmm. it. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: That's why like, uh, oh, I, I'm not supposed to say this yet, but I've um I i, um, <laughs> I I've been running a, a podcast about language and linguistics in Cantonese. And we often run into this problem of not knowing how to say some things in mm. Cantonese. Yeah. So yeah. normally we would default to using the English word. Mm-hmm. But we're like, nah, let's, let's, try harder let's try something different so sometimes we might look it up on wikipedia and just use the chinese one mm-hmm. um other times we actually started making them our our own our own words <laughs> um because why not yeah, yeah as long as we uh make make the context clear
0: I love that. If you enjoyed this episode of Speaking Tongues, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts and like and subscribe on YouTube so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. If you've been a longtime listener of the show or even a recent listener, you can now pledge ongoing support for Speaking Tongues on buymeacoffee.com or on patreon.com. In your opinion and in your travels and your conversations and everything, um... How does Cantonese stand out among the uh, other Chinese languages? Like is there something about the way it's spoken? Is it the shortening of of words? Is it something about the, um, I don't know, is there something about Cantonese that make it stand out, make it unique, make it different, make it, of course, it's special, so I won't single that out. But um, are there are there those things that make it stand out from the other? chinese languages spoken in china
1: um well for one the the loan words i talked about earlier because of our Mm -hmm. long history with the brits um but also i i think the thing with chinese languages is generally they have a similar structure they have similar grammatical categories Mm -hmm. um, and features it's just that how exactly they use those features differs so for example um in all in all the Chinese languages they have verb aspects to mm-hmm. talk about, like whether the, the action is finished or ongoing, or that kind of the different um or states of the action. Yeah. Um, and then our we have a s- certain set of aspects, and some of them are uh, I think relatively unique. For example, we have two uh, endings for ongoing actions. One of them is for things that is more active you're doing something uh it might uh, ch- change the state might mm-hmm. be developing whereas the other one is you enter the state and then you stay there okay like uh for example oh what what's an example oh yes say wearing clothes so uh work clothes is jerk Sam uh if you say sam, it means you're putting on the clothes which is an active action like mm-hmm. it's ongoing it's changing mm-hmm. but if you say uh-huh. it means you have clothes on
2: because you enter
1: that state and then you stay in the state
0: right right yeah oh.
1: and we we have one for uh for habits like you usually do something mm-hmm. um yeah but my, my I always tell people my favorite thing about Cantonese <laughs> is we have an ending a verb ending for hurting yourself
0: what <laughs> yeah it's, it's
1: amazing um but you can just have take uh, an action add the ending ton, and then it means you hurt yourself doing that thing and it's not very common because there's only so many ways you can get hurt yeah but the fact that it is a general thing and it's technically you can add it to anything it's amazing
0: so how does it how do you say it
1: um so oh let me see uh, so normally you have, when you talk about actions that would logically lead to an injury anyway, like mm-hmm. fall, uh, or to choke, you have, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, those, those, those make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, you can say tag, chan. tag means kick, kick doesn't necessarily lead to injury. Right. But if you say tag ton, it means you hurt yourself kicking.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Yeah, and then, and then you can do other things as well. Like, I think that basically never happens.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But
1: you can technically, you can theoretically say, um, uh, what what else? Oh, let's say, drink tea. Yum yum cha. Yum is drink. You can yum mm-hmm. tan. Uh, it's it's it never happens, but it's grammatical. You could say that, and it's amazing.
0: <laughs> That's so interesting. That's I I think that's a fun fact. That's might be where I mean it's still early, but that could be the fun fact of the show. Oh. <laughs> yeah, let's get the fun part out of the way. <laughs> then we can go to the sad part.
1: No. Um, um but yeah, it's it's fun because I, I I didn't think about these things before I started teaching Cantonese. I started think going into the well, this side gig, mm-hmm. thinking I'm just gonna be like a conversation tutor, help people with their um, speaking practice mm-hmm. but then um it turns out not many people come looking for someone just to practice L- lots of people come for an actual teacher yeah. to tell them about things because yeah. Cantonese is a lesser learned language um so I end up starting to teach and then as I teach I discover more and more about these things and I had to like on the spot make lists of certain uh uh particles or examples and then yeah it's it's been such an experience
0: yeah that's amazing like,
1: um yeah we, ha- we have things like uh called sentence final particles mm-hmm. again they are in every Chinese language mm-hmm. but um the fun thing about Cantonese is you can stack them
2: <gasps>
1: so these particles I need to explain what they do is they express the tone of voice Okay. because uh, in English you use your like pitch to show your tone of voice, right, mm-hmm. or volume, but because we use pitch for like actual linguistic tones, so we end up using these particles to tell people what I think about the thing that I'm saying.
2: Oh, okay. Like
1: we have one that says that we have an end. We have a sentence final particle that means, um, well, I heard that. It's it. I'm not sure. Apparently, someone said that. That seems to be the case.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or we have one that means um. When, For example, you talk about an amount, and you want to express that it's a small amount, as in your attitude. So you say the amount, and then you say da, and that means you think it's very pitiful. And then sometimes we, we just stack everything together. I think you can do up to three to combine different attitudes into one sentence.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah everybody should learn Cantonese <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I think it is a different way of thinking about what you're saying but every language is right in every mm-hmm. language you have mm-hmm. to think about what you're trying to express yeah but sometimes Cantonese makes certain things explicit
0: yeah yeah so uh, you yeah. you mentioned that it's not um commonly learned uh and you you know your students are coming to you looking for a teacher because it's it's not as commonly learned and you actually spoke to me before about Cantonese in being in the early stages of a trajectory of decline and revival can you talk a little bit more about that yeah um so
1: I'm actually uh not hundred percent like within this belief but it's a th- something that I I read about in a book so there's a there's a book called uh Speak Not by James Griffiths that I read uh, around a year ago by now, mm-hmm. that compared different languages in various stages of oppression, and then strangely he included Cantonese. I was like, why? Mm. It turns out he's trying to make a point that uh, there is a certain trajectory that all um, oppressed languages go through. Uh, so it's certain there are some telltale signs in the early stages like there are um, phenomena that you'd see when the language is starting to be threatened
2: mm-hmm. and then
1: it goes into decline. And then if they're lucky, if they don't die, then they go into revitalization. Um, so I, I I read that book and found that really interesting. Um, so I started thinking whether Cantonese is on that trajectory. Mm. And certainly there are signs that it is because, again, that goes back to the politics, right? There are certain things that political powers are trying to push. And one of those things is um well taking out um, smaller languages in, in the name of national unity. Right. Uh, and also just outside of politics, th- there's like huge cultures that exert their influence, just like English, uh, and also the mainland Chinese culture. So they are exerting influence uh and and there, there is a potential that, that might end up just changing the linguistic lands, landscape of, uh, where I'm from. Yeah. So I, so I'm starting to think about this and and wonder if we don't do anything about it, it's going to go on that slope. It's going to go yeah. on the decline, and then you can only hope that it bounces back up. Right. So that's what I, I, where I am with my, just thoughts at this moment
0: (laughs) and you also you speak taiwanese or you study taiwanese or
1: both i i I learned it uh okay as i said i i learned languages as a hobby uh Mm -hmm. so that was one of my uh well spoils (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but i i I started learning it because i wanted to do an experiment Mm -hmm. um it's actually started quite early on uh like a decade ago i wanted to know uh whether learning a language that is similar to my mother tongue actually makes it easier because oh. lots of people learn european languages right and european languages are very far removed from my mother tongue right uh, even though i speak english reasonably well uh, so i started with japanese
0: mm-hmm.
1: obviously it has very little in common in terms of like the roots with cantonese but um there are lots of uh Words that are cognates that are similar to Cantonese, and then that was a failure. So <laughs> I don't speak Japanese. Okay. But afterwards, I thought, okay, what if I learned a language that is actually in the Chinese language family? Yeah. So I tried Taiwanese because I think I have the most um, chance of using it uh, outside of China.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, I tried doing it, and it turned it was a success because it actually was really intuitive. I guess deep down, I just sort of could find the patterns how this map maps to that, or how the sounds map, or how the sentence structures correspond to each other, mm-hmm. and that. So, so that was a fun experience. And right now, even though I don't know a lot of Taiwanese vocabulary, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of uh, native words that are still foreign to me, mm-hmm. but um, I, I can use the sort of my basic language pretty comfortably just on account of that fact yeah now with it in the internet age so mm-hmm. actually there are more ways for um speakers or people interested in learning these minoritized languages to to come together mm-hmm. um so actually I, I i hear a lot about cornish because of the great polyglot richard simcott who's learning it uh it was a an extinct language but now there's a community community of people who are who have revived it who mm-hmm. are learning it and using it and yeah. that's mainly thanks to the internet and i think there's it's the same with places like taiwan mm-hmm. where maybe in daily life um again depending on where you go you might not be able to use the language at all
2: mm-hmm.
1: um but when you go online there's more people yeah who
0: are
1: passionate about it at least
0: yeah well something that's been i guess a success story um as far as revitalization or you know bringing awareness to it would would be welsh right mm-hmm. like um from what i understand about welsh is that um you know it it is a minoritized or it has been a minoritized language and and now there's more eyes on it there's more vi- visibility and more usage there's definitely at least i've noticed more people learning the welsh language um has that been especially your over covid yeah <laughs> i
1: i heard i think I think Duolingo said, uh, the Welsh course was the fastest growing one during COVID. Wow.
0: Yes. Welsh. That's amazing. Um, when did you start learning Welsh and what made you, um, what made you start on that journey? So, um,
1: (laughs) so me as a uh, language learning hobbyist. I often, I often have a stupid reason to start learning a language, <laughs> and in the case of Welsh, that is because I was moving to Manchester, and then, which is around two hours from North Wales, which yeah. has a relatively high uh, proportion of people who speak Welsh. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, why not? Uh, and obviously, like lots of people in the <laughs> Anglo sphere, uh, the Celtic languages sort of have a mystic quality like yeah. oh it's very <laughs> bulky or or whatever so pe- did, did you know welsh has been used in lots of like fantasy games
0: no but i believe As it a-
1: yeah, yeah I- <laughs> so this is sorry so tolkien based one of his elvish languages on welsh right mm-hmm. because he loved it yeah but nowadays when people make uh new fantasy games they literally just put welsh in there and then mm-hmm call it like the like I don't know the old tongue or whatever so (laughs) just just a side note it's it's funny it's
0: so Um, interesting that you say that because um the episode that I did on Welsh mm -hmm. with David and listening to him speak Welsh I was just like this language sounds like old as the hills like it just I can't even describe why I feel that way but it just something about Welsh just sounds ancient
1: i can break that down for you so i have a theory okay uh, just literally just formed in my head so (laughs) welsh has a lot of the the sounds
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and english still has them but uh old english has more i think icelandic has lots of the sounds uh so it's sort of in the dna of the language Mm -hmm. and uh so that's why when when you hear lots of further sounds you associate it with an older kind of germanic language. Hmm. That's my theory for now.
0: Icelandic has the thorn sign that yeah. like the th that the English used to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe it's like something in the to you to borrow your term yeah. in the DNA of speaking English. Maybe I feel like oh the th is old and we don't use it anymore and it's I don't know. I think you're onto something.
1: Yeah, I literally just thought of that. And the F (laughs) as well, the D with the stroke through it. Yeah, yeah. Um, But sometimes I I don't like to to talk of like whether a language is old or not, because that comes with various connotations. Because we have Mm -hmm. the same problem with Cantonese. Lots of people, when they want to promote Cantonese, we say it's an older language Mm -hmm. because our vocabulary has more in common with like classical Chinese compared to Mandarin. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, like from the other perspective, you could say that it's an outdated language.
0: Oh, I didn't so even some, think of that.
1: Yeah. So like it, it could go both ways. It mm. uh, depends on like your uh, each individual person's attitude towards the language. So I try not to bring that up because objectively, there are no there are no older or younger language. That's fair. Right? Yeah. There, there are older literary, literary histories and Welsh does have a pretty old Pretty long literary history of being written down in poems and things like that.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that contributes to that. But when you say the language is older, it's it's technically not true. It's, it it all came from the same Proto Indo European language, mm-hmm. and then it, you might uh, uh, like bring up different reactions from different people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you? How did you? We took a little detour, but how did oh, you? Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that's it's nobody's fault. But how did you? how did you get into well she said you moved to manchester manchester is about two hours from wales so you decided hey why not give it a shot and how has it been for you
1: so i uh with lots of (laughs) like lots of different languages and lots of different learners i started with duolingo um to sort of test the water see if i like it um so i i started there and then uh i learned at a surprisingly good pace i think Mm -hmm. because at this point i'm quite experience with learning european languages i know how they work and welsh is a uh much more in a sense much more european language than english is like with the grammar it's it's a bit like french
2: Mm. so so
1: i i I knew what i was doing (laughs) Uh, so i i started watching uh tv and listening to podcasts sort of just like what i usually do and more recently this is like new news for now uh i started doing a course and the thing about learning welsh is that because it is an uh there is an incentive for the government to promote it they have like lots of different plans to encourage the use of welsh and learning of it and uh, so there's actually a really structured system for learning it so uh, i think there's different levels there's like a centralized national center for teaching welsh uh, so you you can take courses delivered by various universities and centers that is all based around the same curriculum Mm -hmm. and then like all the reading resources are like readers reader books for example are based around this levels Mm -hmm. uh, this this system yeah so I uh, initially I didn't want to do that because personally I don't like language classes (laughs) just because the easiest thing for classes to teach for, for teachers to teach is grammar and grammar is my strongest point Mm -hmm. so i'd rather if i if i were in a class i would like to practice other things than grammar yeah but but at that point i was starting to get a bit desperate because um it's a bit of a struggle to find resources for learning welsh on my own or finding opportunities to use it especially when i'm in england Mm -hmm. Uh, so i decided to go on the course and that's where i'm at now um so actually, every week I get to speak it a bit. And for now, I'm focusing on learning this language. I'm hoping to get somewhere in like two years time. Yeah. Uh, because I, I have plans for it.
0: That's exciting. <laughs> can you share those plans? You don't have to if they're personal, but if it's something you want to share, I think we'd love to know what your plans are. Oh,
1: well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I all I can say is in a, in about two and a half years time i am going to uh become a permanent resident of the uk yay and and that comes with certain requirements okay and some of those things can be done in welsh
0: oh okay
1: because like it's a legal provision so -hmm. that's all i'm gonna say okay (laughs) so people who are in the know they will know because someone else (laughs) one, one other person has done the same thing that i want to do okay and it was all over the news and i was like i want to do that
0: all right well yeah. wish you all the best of luck <laughs> i'm sure you'll smash it um, sorry i had to
1: be so uh like mysterious and it's okay whatnot.
0: we enjoy a little touch of mystery it's, over here yeah just my
1: goal <laughs> for now it's a pretty distant one
0: um so we've got you know, we're, we're focusing on minoritized languages and, um, you know, you also have studied some other minoritized languages. Um, and I'd love to know what are some of the unique challenges that come with wanting to learn a language that's minoritized or one that's on that trajectory of decline? Um, some that you've noticed and, Maybe something that, well, I'll save that for a second question, but that's yeah. that's part one of the question. Like, what are some things that you've noticed to be a challenge when trying to learn these languages?
1: I think um, there are two parts to this. So one of them is the challenge of actually learning the language. And the second part is the challenges surrounding learning the language. Okay. So first thing is uh, it's harder to find resources or opportunities to use it as I said, I, I resorted to joining a class, which I didn't want to initially mm-hmm. because uh, uh, because I felt like th- there are no other chances to use it. Because um, when you learn, for example, Fra- French, you go to France, you know that people will be speaking French there. Mm-hmm. But if you learn Welsh, for example, you go to Wales, uh, on average, there is around 17% chance that someone speaks Welsh.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, that's, that's a national average, I think. Okay. Um, so you... Even if you go there, you don't have much of a chance of doing it. You need to know exactly where to go. Mm. So, for example, the first time I went to Wales, I had already learned some Welsh. I went to Cardiff, which is uh, an area with relatively low Welsh speakers because it's the capital. Hmm. Um, and then I went there. I saw lots of signs in Welsh, which is a good thing. Lots of visibility there. But I I hardly ever heard it. And then when I tried to order something in Welsh, it's like, what? <laughs> um so uh so that's that's a main challenge i think Mm -hmm. and and i asked on a like a welsh learner group how can i use this language in cardiff and they're like okay go to this shop go to this place that place people there speak it Mm
2: -hmm. so
1: you really have to know where to go so so my impression is unless you're a local so you know everyone already um it's, it's really hard to find these opportunities like even if Within the same shop, unless it's specifically a Welsh speaking shop. So there could be different baristas, one of them speaks to it, one of them doesn't. So uh, you have to make your own opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as for other learning resources, I think it's getting better now, at least with the ones that I'm learning, because there's governments behind them. It might be worse for other languages. Um, mm-hmm. But um, like in, in Welsh, there's like uh, lots of reader books and so on, but still compared to bigger languages, it's always a challenge to find, for example, a TV show that you're interested in. Right. That is also subtitled. Um, the, the, a common problem I've had is that TV shows are co- co- uh, often subtitled in English or in, uh, they, they it's rephrased, paraphrased in Welsh. Oh. So, so th- that's kind of the, the, the daily hurdles that I, I go through. Mm-hmm. So lots of the time, I have to like repeat more use my and uh, use my listening more carefully mm-hmm. uh, that kind of things whereas for example with German there's like different websites or or well, brand names tools to help <laughs> you enjoy series in, a, in an accessible yeah. way yeah um, I,
0: would, I would also think and i could be wrong because i've yet to visit the beautiful uh, country of Wales but I would imagine if you're going into a shop and you know whether you know the person or you know that there's someone there who speaks Welsh I would imagine and again I could be wrong that well, there there may even be some reluctancy for that person to speak with you once you start speaking with them in Welsh. And for whatever reason, maybe because they can tell it's not your first language, maybe because um, you don't look like you from around there, is that something that you've encountered or something that you've heard people encountering? And I just want to clarify, you know, my comment wasn't about unhost hospitable nature of the Welsh people like I don't I don't have that preconception that they're not friendly or they don't want to talk but I'm I'm specifically thinking about and I guess you know this is my brain trying to make a an association thinking of like if you go to France and you think that you're going to speak French ah. and you're going to practice French and the person can tell from the way you speak that, OK, it's not your first language. And maybe they've never seen you around town before or they've never seen you come into this establishment before. Um, is there a, a reluctance, you know, in the in the way that we often see? And I've experienced, you know, in France, um, I've experienced that in Italy. Um, and that's not a condemnation on those people, you know, because, um, and I shouldn't have said those people, but it's not <laughs> it's oh. not like not talking down to any, any particular group, but just wondering, um, you know, I think all of us as, as language learners eager to practice, we've all encountered that in some form or another. So I was, I was just wondering if that, um, if that happens or if, if you've encountered that in Wales oh, okay, or, but well so. I, I can
1: speak to that uh <laughs> i for, for me it's full-on condemnation <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> i have learned a few languages where the native population are pretty good in english in general like mm-hmm. swedish and german mm-hmm. and then you go there you speak their language to them and they always reply in english because oh, uh, no. it's a it's a path of least resistance right
2: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So it happens to me quite a lot um which is why i was quite surprised when i uh, went to Lithuania and talked to people in Lithuanian and they replied in Lithuanian even though they spoke English as well yeah yeah but in in Wales it's it has an extra layer because um it it's about the identity right it's about they mm. they want to uh, promote uh, the language obviously there are still going to be people who only speak English to you even though they can speak Welsh but at the same time as I said lots of people who do speak Welsh would be happy for you to try And uh, the common advice that I see uh, people say is that even if you don't speak much Welsh, Mm -hmm. just when you're in Wales, try to start a conversation with Boreda, like good morning, and then Mm -hmm. finish it with Dioch, thanks. Everything in between is English, but Mm -hmm. at least it's like a a sandwich, right? (laughs) The (laughs) sandwich of conversation in Welsh Mm -hmm. is sort of a respect to the local culture. And even... uh, for example baristas or, or people in the service industry who don't speak Welsh would know those words. So it's a it's a good attitude, a good thing to try, I yeah. guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wales sounds like a really amazing place.
1: I'm I, I've actually haven't been there a lot of times, like several times. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm not gonna be the tourist <laughs> tourism <laughs> board or anything. Um but I I have generally pretty good impressions of the country.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to visiting someday. Um, I know that you are a fan of the longest place name
2: in, oh no! in the
0: world. <laughs> and I wonder if you want to give it a go uh, here on the podcast. If you don't, then we can just cut this. Part you make out, it sound like a but... big deal. but <laughs> <laughs> You know why it's a big deal? Because because I didn't know that was a thing and now I realize that it's something that people ask Welsh speakers to always <laughs> say yeah. and now I'm a little yeah, like bit like
1: Hollywood talk shows right yeah. <laughs> <All the
0: time. laughs> exactly and I think it's like I just think it's really cool but you know it, at in the risk of completely cheapening this conversation um if you'd like to throw your um, your hat in the ring, please do. But if you don't, no pressure. Yeah,
1: th- this is your Jimmy Kimmel moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's funny because when you don't know it, it's it looks so long it's, mm-hmm. and daunting. But once you learn it, uh, it, it just, you it feels much shorter, mm-hmm. which is weird. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know, like 10 syllables or so. Mm-hmm. So it's... Ah, you did it. <laughs> yeah I could do it anytime of day. It, it's a it's a common party trick I guess.
0: Yeah. Um, I actually yeah. been there so oh cool. It's not just you not posted just that you posted a video from there, I think. I did. Yeah, so it's I remember, funny. So I I, remember. I was
1: visiting a friend in Bangor which is or um, well, it's on the Wales mainland mm-hmm. um, and it's a university town, but it's just opposite that village which is on an on a big island and it's called mm-hmm. Anglesey uh, or in Welsh and it's Mon. Uh, so I visited my friend and they were like, what do we do now? There's nothing to do in this town. <laughs> and then she's like, well, you want to go to that place? I used to live there. And I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. <laughs> and then as we walked there, which takes around half an hour, I started seeing the different things that make up the place name. <laughs>
2: like
1: uh, It's like a tiny parish church there's actually two churches in the name yeah and then like different parts of the river uh tree that kind of stuff so i was like yes i have a new idea let's visit everything that makes up the place name and then we did that and that was my day out
0: fun that's fun please let us know about what you're doing your podcast you mentioned some speaking events um tell us about your music um, all that good stuff that you want us to know um, more about you. But most importantly, please let us know where we can find you.
1: I enjoy public speaking increasingly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I go to those um polyglot or language events quite often. And then from, since last year, I've been speaking in them. Uh, so as I said, uh, in, a, in the start of my, our conversation, the this topic that we're discussing right now actually inspired me to do a talk at an Edinburgh language event. Uh, so the it should be online somewhere now. Um, so what where I actually get to go into more details and talk about like facts and statistics rather than uh, rather than my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, I as I said, I'm a composer for now, I also want to get better at that um that's why I should I should be focusing on composing anyway um Mm -hmm. so recently I I wanted to to fuse my two sides like composer by day polygraph by night I wanted to do something that involves both Mm -hmm. so uh earlier this year I wrote an art song which is a fancy word for a song in classical music uh and I wanted to write it in Cantonese I couldn't find a poem Mm. Uh, that is fitting for my purpose so I wrote my own and put it in there uh, and taught uh, an English singer to sing it and then afterwards I gave a conference presentation about why it matters to make art in uh, neglected languages right so I, I guess that's sort of my niche now I, I mm. <laughs> talk about these things uh surrounding like language and society and identity a lot hmm But normally, most of the time, Mm -hmm. I I do things on YouTube. Yeah.
2: Um.
1: So my my YouTube is called Rhapsody in Lingo. Um. There is an ongoing series about my month in Lithuania, but also I recently made a video about Welsh. It's just uh sort of a place to dump all my different thoughts about language learning. Yeah. Basically, and like talk about my progress. I have, I have a channel for my music, which is just my name, Israel Lai. And then I have a channel for my podcast, which is in Cantonese. So I guess most of your listeners won't be listening to that. But it's not if we all where... learn
0: Cantonese. That's <laughs> the goal.
1: Actually, um, our podcast had two main goals. One of them is to talk about languages in Cantonese because not many people do that. Yeah. Uh, as I said, lots of people have to resort to English, mm-hmm. other languages to talk about like technical scientific things. So we're like, let's do that. And the second aim is to help people who are on the right level to listen to more Cantonese. So that's why I painstakingly transcribe every episode yeah. by hand. Ooh. Yeah. There's no AI that can help with that, not in <laughs> Cantonese. So not I do by hand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. I don't envision that happening anytime soon.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's, it's it's fun. Uh, and one of our co-hosts is uh, it works in like natural language processing. Mm -hmm. He he knows things about language models. So sometimes we just take all the transcripts, put it in the language model, and and like generate something. Just
0: (laughs) fun, yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, I'm I'm also wrapping lingo
0: on Instagram. Awesome. I will add all of your links into the show notes for this episode, so that people who are listening and they want to get in touch with you can just click the link and find you right away. That would be nice. I'm so excited. I'm so happy that we finally had this opportunity to chat a little bit and you know I got to learn a little bit more about your background and your languages and where your passions are thank you so much for joining me oh yeah I'm happy
1: that you you were so interested in Cantonese because actually as someone who learns so many languages I don't get to talk about my own language often Mm. Uh, so yeah uh, yeah, it's just chance to geek out a little bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I love it. That's what that's what I'm here to do, and um, I've really enjoyed this time speaking with you. Um, I like to end each episode on the same question, um, just to have a little bit of fun. On a parting note, do you have any jokes, popular sayings, tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms, words of wisdom, or words of advice in Cantonese? taiwanese or welsh to share and to teach us
1: see this is the the weird thing i envisioned this uh discussion to be a lot more depressing uh than than it turned out to be because it's like it's not serious thing language decline that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so i i brought a phrase that is uh quite a serious phrase but turned out so so much fun but either way i'm gonna say that because that's all i've got so it's a, <laughs> it's a saying in Welsh that mm-hmm. I think applies to lots of, minoritized languages like the ones we've been talking about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's, uh, it's read um, heb iaith, heb galon," and that means a nation without a language is a nation without a heart.
2: Wow.
1: I think that is debatable, but I think in the context of, for example, Welsh it mm-hmm. really says something about the importance of the language because mm-hmm. um, it, it contains like all the all the past knowledge and history.
0: Absolutely. And
1: it would be a shame if they lost it. And same for Cantonese and other similar languages.
0: Yeah, I think that's a perfect um, phrase to kind of sum up our conversation. So um, thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And now it's time for you to teach it to me. So yeah, I can learn to say it too.
1: <laughs> so I I chose this partly because it's uh, relatively simple. Um so I could just break it down word for word. Um okay. so Canada. Canada. Yeah. It means nation. Mm-hmm. Uh it's it's weird because it's a DL at the end, but I think generally there's a schwa in there. Canada. Canada. Yeah. Okay. Heb is without. Heb. Heb, uh
0: huh,
1: and then yith is language. Yith, yith,
0: yith. Okay, yith. Yeah, heb yith,
1: mm-hmm. and then and then Kenedil heb gallon.
0: Canidal heb gallon, ha- gallon,
1: gallon. It's a bit Gal- like the unit of measurement, right? G- gallon, like gallon, um,
0: gallon. Kened- yeah. So, heb... Heart in
1: Welsh is. Kalon. Kalon. Mm-hmm. But uh, we didn't even, even get to that. Uh, they do this fun thing called initial mutation,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a constant mutation. Uh, and after heb without, you need to change the k to a g. Oh,
0: so that's good to know. Yeah. Okay. So it's without the heb, it would be kalon with a c. Kalon. But yeah. with the heb, it has to be galon with a g. Galon. Galon Yeah. Canadil heb yait? Mm-hmm. Canadil heb gallon. Exactly.
1: Oh. I think it's a beautiful
0: saying. I think so too. I think Welsh sounds really beautiful. Um, I'm becoming. Yeah. I'm, be- I'm turning into one of you guys. Like, <laughs> <right here. laughs> like I'm going to learn a little bit of. Welsh. No, no, no. Start with Cantonese. <laughs> start with Cantonese. <laughs> but Cantonese first, because everybody should learn to speak Cantonese. That is the Absolutely. phrase of the show. Um, Israel, <laughs> this has been joyous to speak with you. I'm so happy. Yeah. I'm so too? happy that we had this conversation really quickly. Do not think about this too hard at oh, no. all. What is No, this? no, 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 no. In the first language that comes to mind, as you mentioned, you speak about a dozen of them. In the first language that comes to mind, after you've been having a conversation like this, uh, you've been talking to someone for quite some time, what is the best way to say goodbye?
1: Well, it's still going to be my mother tongue. Uh, Okay. And it's a a bit ironic uh, because we talk about Cantonese so much, but our most common way to say goodbye in Cantonese is bye-bye.
0: (laughs) Bye-bye.
1: No, you need the tones. Bye-bye. 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 You can't just put an English word there without the terms. Oh, sorry. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. <Israel.
0: laughs> Thank you so much. And I will be talking to you soon. Yeah, I'm sure. Bye. Bye-bye. Special shout out to Speaking Tongue supporters and listeners, Heidi L, Linnea H, Pat N, and Jotty A. New episodes of Speaking Tongues are available every Monday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to like and share episodes with other language lovers like ourselves.
2: Hoyle!